So a central theme of life together as we form these groups and we begin to ask the question, you know, um, how are you? Where are you? Uh, is in the realm of feelings and, and emotions. Um, and, and this is an aspect of life, I think, especially for guys that like we really struggle to articulate. Um, how, how are we feeling? What, what language do we have to describe that? Mm-hmm. And I've just found in my own journey, like it's very limited. And, and I found that to be really true for, for, for most people. And so something I want us to orient to is we're leading groups um, and inviting people into answering a question, you know, how are you, where are you, um, what's going on in your life, um, is this idea that um, our default mode is going to be to respond to the way people are answering that question by uh, trying to solve their problems for them. So, you know, if, if the three of us are in a group and, you know, Ron, Ron shares that he's struggling in his parenting and, you know, and I'm 10 years ahead in the, in the parenting journey, a, a very easy default mode for me to go in is to go, well, Ron, let me tell you how this works yeah. um, mm-hmm. as a dad. Let me just give you some quick solutions to fix that. But we don't want to do that. And here's the main reason why, because a core principle of, of, this work in Iron Collective is is this concept that people are not primarily problems to be solved. Instead, people are holy mysteries to be uncovered. And as a leader of of a group, your your job is to lean into the mystery, not to solve the problem. And um, that sounds really simple and basic, and it's so hard, even mm-hmm. even for me to do, because it's just it's just the way we're used to showing up, and it's the way we get rewarded, right? Like we get rewarded for solving problems. Um, but if we begin to orient to the idea that people are a mystery, then what that allows us to do is extend much more grace to people um, because we can hold the totality of a person, who they are, what they do, what they fail to do, and, and all the various ways that they show up in in relationship in life can be contained in it, mm-hmm. in this idea of a mystery. One thing I like about that, we said it on a different episode, is it creates that safe space to then do more of that. Um, and you, you, I think you said it in a helpful way, Gabe, that if you jump right into problem solving or, or maybe even worse silence, it creates this gap for shame to get in, Mm -hmm. uh, which just kind of shuts us down from being more vulnerable. And I don't know, even that framing helped me to realize why that's why this is so important. Well, it also, I think when you solve someone else's problem or give advice, it scratches your own identity itch of like, I'm worth something. I have something to offer. I have something to give instead of sitting in, hey, my identity is firmly rooted in Jesus. I don't actually need to solve this person's issues with my own experience or wisdom, no matter how great it is. I want to let the power of the spirit actually uncover this mystery. And I want to ask questions and be curious and help this person actually, you know, reach that conclusion on their own. That's such a great point. That's a really good insight, Ron. You know, that makes me think of, um, just the, the concept that so often we, we show up as consumers in relationships and that we actually, and this is kind of like harsh language, but we consume people. Like we use people yeah. and that, I mean, what you just named is a way that we subtly show up <laughs> as a leader of a spiritual group and we're using the people in, in, in our own group to meet our own need. Yeah. Yeah. Even as you say that it, it does, it hurts a little in a good way. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I do that. It, yeah. It's helpful to, 
notice that subtle shift. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that just as a potential pitfall for these leaders who are stepping in to lead these groups yeah. and are, are probably in the middle of that right now? What yeah. are some ways that you have seen that play out? Yeah. I mean, I think a, a core question is, is you're considering leading anything really. And I mean, this applies of course to this group, but it applies to like leading your family or, you know, even leading at work is because people are people. And, and this is a relational dynamic is that we're made for human connection. We're made for deep relationship and we sabotage our, our best efforts at relationship when we use and, and, and consume because we put ourselves at the center of the story instead of instead of showing up in service to other people. And so I think a core question to ask as we move into any leadership role is like, why am I why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I saying yes to this? What is it? that this is giving me. Um, and if it's, I'm coming with need that I'm leading and, um, and I'm doing that out of a need that I have to, to be, to be recognized, uh, or to be important or whatever. This is, this is when, um, we actually undo the work that we're trying to do mm -hmm. in these groups. Mm -hmm. Is there a place for that more problem solving or mm -hmm. giving advice? I think there definitely is there's space and all there's all kinds of places in life. And I think it has to do with clarity of relationships. Mm. Right. And, and I'm a big fan of um, the, the concept that clarity is kindness and that really when we enter into relationships, it, we're making contracts, like maybe not written contracts, but they're contracts, they're agreements about like how we're going to interact with, with one another. And so certainly there's, you know, human relationships where it's appropriate to have a contract of, of that's more transactional. That's, you know, and that's, I think if you're going to see, you know, a therapist, I'm showing up, I'm planning to use my therapist wisdom and knowledge to give me, if I show up to the doctor, I'm planning to use that relationship to give me something. Mm -hmm. um, but I think like when we enter into these spaces of spiritual community, uh, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great line um, in his work, Life Together. He says, you know, he who loves community destroys community. Mm -hmm. He who loves people builds community. And so oftentimes what happens with especially spiritual leadership is, is we show up trying to, with a concept that's bigger than humanity, bigger than relationship, it, it's a, some dream that we have to build a program or to have some sort of like outward success. And, but we're going to use people and relationships to, to make that happen. And when we do that, what Bonhoeffer is saying is we destroy the relationships mm. that we're, that we're trying to build. But if we just focus on loving people, then what happens is we, we build great ministry. We build great, great community. I think we see that in the church all, all the time. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about consuming people, what's a way that you can kind of circumvent that? I know part of it's really knowing yourself, yeah. you know, um, and knowing your own tendencies. So is there a way that a leader or a participant can actually avoid this consumer mentality? Yeah, it's a great question. I think one of the best ways, and I think you hit on this in your question a little bit is, is self-awareness. You know, and it's it's um, it's being aware of my own heart as a leader, as I prepare to lead, you know, where am I? And so, you know, we, we talked about inviting others into answering this question, like, hey, how are you doing? But as the leader of a group like this, you actually need to do that work before the before the group, you know, as you're. So for me, my practice would be, you know, at some point in the day, 
before, you know, if I'm going to lead a group at 10 o'clock in the morning, at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm going to sit with my journal and I'm going to ask myself the question like, hey, how am I right now? And the first way that we want to answer that question is in the is in the realm of of feelings. And we're going to talk about why why that is. Um, now, our default way of answering that question is going to be to talk about our uh, our to do list, all the things that we're going to do. That's mostly it. Yeah. Or our, the thoughts that that we have. Our go to, um, especially as guys, is not going to be feelings, but we really want to encourage um, groups to answer the the question, "How are you?" primarily in the context of of feelings. And so I want to talk about um, first this idea of emotional intelligence, which has really become, you know, popular in especially business leadership and psychology and, and for good reason. Um, so the science of emotional intelligence says that unlike IQ, which is basically fixed, like you're born with a potential um, to, of a certain processing speed in terms of your um, your, your thinking ability, uh, EQ is not fixed in the same way. EQ, and there's lots of science to back this up, is uh, a, a set of skills and an orientation to relationships that you can grow in. And the reason is because EQ and feelings is is actually a physiological thing that is that's happening. And so when we talk about feelings, this isn't an ethereal pie in the sky kind of thing. First, we need to talk about the body. And so the way that as a human, you experience life in the world is your nervous system. And so, you know, you feel your way through life and literally the way your body works is all those nerves feel and sense and hear and see, and all those transmissions of your nervous system go up through your spinal column, go into your, into your brain. Um, and the first place they, they go is um, to the place where you feel and, and that part of the brain that, that you, that you feel before it goes secondarily to the place where you process your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm. I don't know if you know this, but do you know where, at least in our mo modern American culture, like we started kind of flipping the, the focus, in terms of like feeling and thinking? Or yeah, I'm just wondering if there are certain. Mm -hmm. I can think of certain events in our like modern history that maybe started flipping that to where, it, it is almost ironic to me that the word feelings is thrown around as a joke, almost like yeah. oh, share your feelings. Oh, that's fluffy, and it's mm -hmm. like. But biologically, we we literally yes. are feeling based. Yes. I actually heard a speaker once talk about they argued that um, every decision, 100 percent of decisions are emotion based decisions. Yeah. Hmm. And that's debated a little bit, but I, I think it's correct as well. Right. Uh, and yet and yet there's almost this, still this stigma, at least for guys around feelings. Mm hmm. Where yeah. did that come from? I don't know. I'm just curious. Well, I think it goes. I mean, I don't. I'm not a yeah. social scientist mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, but I, you know, I think it makes sense that it goes way back. And I think sometimes, like, we don't take into account the breadth of human history that, like, events happened hundreds of years ago that are still shaping mm -hmm. our culture and our life. And so, if you, you know, if you really look at like the Enlightenment um, and rationalism, like that is is the you know those are the philosophical and cultural systems that really shaped western culture for the most part and is really based on an idea that you could figure the world out um through thinking through rationality and and so that you know our entire education system is 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 built on that premise and so just it undergirds so much of the way mm -hmm. that like we're oriented to the world you could say our worldview 
And so even if you haven't thought about that, I think, I think that's true. I also think in at least American culture, uh, feelings are associated as a feminine, um, sort of mm-hmm. aspect of what it means to be human mm-hmm. and instead of just a human aspect that, yeah, it's that, almost that, odd yeah yeah that men somehow don't don't feel you know or shouldn't feel it's definitely out there well yeah. and part of it is you know i think in some households it is viewed as weakness um because it's often tied to you know the physical like manifestation of emotion yeah. crying or anger or whatever yeah. and and you're always being told to suppress those mm-hmm. as kids yes. stop crying or don't throw a tantrum or don't do this or that and i think that results in us stuffing those down as we get older and yes. adolescence and then adulthood and it's just like the continuation of that and as you talked about in an earlier episode, I mean, oftentimes you're rewarded for that yes. in, in culture and society and the workplace for like, hey, you don't have feel, you know, you can work your way through this logically and without emotion. You said that to the side or you yes. check it at the door and you came into work and did your job and left like good for you. We'll promote you. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. Yeah. You can handle your business right. without drama or yep. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since. um our Iron Collective group, I've been noticing myself in parenting do that. And it is such a norm. I've noticed others do it too. But uh, yeah, I'll t- tell my daughter, like, stop, stop feeling in any given situation. Like, oh, don't do that. Don't, don't get upset. And now I kind of stop and think to myself, like, wait, where, why am I saying that? I don't even know. And I don't know where the line is, what's, what's helpful or not. But I have noticed that is very much a norm in our culture to kind of, stop a kid from feeling i don't know why maybe that's easier for us as parents but of course that then has Mm -hmm. a uh you know long-term repercussions yeah yeah so i think we want to undo that that narrative and that that's really like when we're talking about discipleship like when we're talking about learning to follow jesus i think like one of the most important things we can impart to people is a different worldview is to say like one we have to identify the you know the, by worldview i mean you know the the lenses through which we see life right and that's a set th- those are sets of beliefs and values and all kinds of things and oftentimes it's it's subconscious it's not something we've really processed but it's important to process it and say like really this is this is my worldview um but then to challenge that worldview and say but like but what is a biblical worldview and that goes back to this idea of story. And this is why st- God's story is so important, is that as we, the more we understand God's story, that uh, he, he has a true narrative of the world that's meant to shape our worldview, that's meant to give us the proper lens to, to look through the world. And so when it comes to feelings, like God's story actually has a tremendous amount to say about that. And I think that, you know, that's an important thing as leaders to understand that um, in God's story, you know, the, the Hebrew understanding of of humanity was this idea um of of the heart basically yeah uh, i mean maybe it's worth voicing because a lot of people i think share parts of my story but now with the lens i have now i can see that um i've been very engaged in a very positive way in the life of church and and faith since i was very little but it was it was always primarily with the lens of having the right beliefs and then like doing the right things Mm -hmm. and feelings or emotion had no place in it. 
And it's an odd thing for me to even say out loud. That's why I'm kind of pausing as I say it. Cause yeah. it's like, no one said that was bad. No one said that that doesn't fit here. It just wasn't ever talked about. Yeah. It wasn't done. It wasn't modeled or anything. So, so that had nothing to do with a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm starting to see it in fresh new ways now, but that that's been almost like thrown me off in this process. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, at the core of human brokenness is brokenness in relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. And that goes all the way back to Genesis three. That goes all the way back to the garden. And then we have particular brokenness mm-hmm. in relationships in our culture. And I think in our culture, it's our, you know, our, our central value is, is really efficiency. Um, and you know, emotions, not efficient. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, quite the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And, and I think that's why we get frustrated with our families because it's like, hey, I'm trying to make something happen. I'm trying to get us on vacation. I'm trying to get dinner on the table. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get you to bed. And time is of the essence. And you're feeling, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And we then, laugh, but that's probably at the core of it a lot of yeah. times. Yeah. But the problem is it sabotages what we really want, which is what we most deeply desire is connection relationship to be loved and to have capacity to love others and so that's why i think like this is such an important skill set that we're passing along you know in these groups is is to say like you have to grow in your capacity to to feel emotion yourself mm-hmm. to be able to accurately have language to describe yeah. that part of your uh, of your experience of your journey each day of, of how, like how or how am I experiencing that? Not in my thoughts, not in my actions, but in my emotion yeah. and feelings. Well, can we talk about the feelings wheel now? We can, but I want to talk about the Hebrew understanding okay. first, just to give real quick, um, because okay, zoom out, zoom out of, of, you know, modern Western culture where we don't, we've acknowledged we don't have a good framework for feelings in the, in the Hebrew text. Um, the ancient Hebrew understanding of of the word the heart wasn't talking about the thing that pumps blood through your body, but was talking about essentially the air traffic control center of you as a human being. It's the 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 most central part of you, um, where it's basically the sum total of your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, your deep desires, and your volition, like your ability to decide. And so, in the scriptures, when um, the word heart is mentioned. It's, it's, it's not talking about feelings in the same, cause that's the way we think of it. It's like, it's love, it's feelings. It is that, but it's much more than that. Um, and it's, you know, in, for the Hebrews, they don't separate out feelings and thoughts and desires, all that's wrapped up together, which is accurate, right? Like we mm-hmm. cannot bifurcate people. Like yeah. the, all those things are intertwined. But the reason we're starting with feelings is because out of all those things in the Hebrew understanding of the heart, the emotions, the feelings are the part that we just struggle to name. Yeah. And so we're going to start there. And that takes us to the feelings, feelings chart. Wheel. Yeah, feelings wheel. That's right. Yeah. Although it may have the, different forms yes, other than the yes. wheel, correct? Feelings chart, potentially. Feelings chart. Maybe the heart chart. Yes. The heart Do you chart. want to try to describe it, Ron? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just say, I mean to tee that conversation up. I mean, this was like learning a new language for me, you know, and it may (laughs) be for some of the guys who are listening here because, you know, as I think about feelings, I mean, it was just what you said, Gabe. It was like, oh man, I know the feeling of love Mm -hmm. and that's it. 
yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I could like name that maybe. I know the feeling of eating food. But, I don't know yeah, about you. I mean, yeah, that's a feeling. There, there weren't a whole lot of feelings, yeah. uh, words in my vocabulary, and certainly not if someone were to ask me on the spot, "What are you feeling right now?" I would quickly go to thoughts. I would quickly go maybe even to desires, mm-hmm. but feelings would would not even be in the conversation. So. I mean, for me, as I looked at the wheel or the chart, you know, to look at those core emotions um, and then trace it out to these secondary and tertiary words and, and begin to even see how those are interrelated was a big deal, you know, and actually helped me have language. And as I journaled things, you know, in preparation for group or during group, it's like, oh, man, this is actually what I'm feeling and it's yeah. tied to this, you know, situation, um, at work or at home or yeah. in parenting. But, um, you know, for a long time, I didn't even have that. How did it run? I, because it was fun watching you journey and awaken to, uh, your emotions and being able to have lots of language to describe that. And I saw so much growth in, in, in you and in, in these last years and that talk to us about like, how did that affect, some of your core relationships as you began to understand Mm. how to do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up in a house that didn't, we never talked about feelings. And so for me, that was, like I said, brand new, I'll say for the parenting one, you know, what I've, uh, that was a big, big one for me because I have a kid who feels a lot. And so um, myself and my wife are not big feelers mm-hmm. in the sense that we both grew up in similar households like that didn't talk about it. Um, but our son is. And so we had just a hard time connecting with him yeah. oftentimes and found like, man, this is frustrating. He's frustrated. We're frustrated. We aren't speaking the same language. Um and, you know, he would act out like whether it was crying or, or whatever. Um, and that was kind of his go to and frustrating moments or sad moments. Um, but what I found myself doing kind of in and after Iron Collective was encouraging him. Hey, what are some feelings words like? Yes, you can do, you know, you can show your emotions in various ways. We can quickly go to that. I think even as guys, you know, and anger is like probably oh, a pretty man. easy emotion for guys to to know and you know some guys will get mad and punch something or get angry and you know lash out in some way but you know for our son i mean it was all about like how do you how do you talk about this what words can you use to describe this and sometimes we would even give him words like you're feeling sad or you're feeling frustrated i mean help him name that and that's been a goal of ours as a family for a couple years now of just going Hey, we want to name this in one another. And so that we see you, he knows that we see him. Um, and it's been a huge growth for me, but I think also for him as he grows up in a, hopefully a home that's not saying don't do that and push that aside, but just saying, no, just give it language and let's talk about it. It's not wrong, but there, there are healthy ways to go about it. Yeah. And what a gift that is that you and Lindsay give him that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and he grows up with, with language and a dad who sees him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think for these guys in this group, you know, just as you use this tool of the chart and the wheel, I mean, it's such a great tool in your homes. And if you're married or, uh, you know, have kids, I mean, just naming some of the feelings and conversation even, um, with your spouse, especially if she's a feeler will like 
blow her away <laughs> you know like <laughs> i've never win. heard you talk about that before <laughs> yeah. i heard you name a feeling in your own story but man what a great gift to your to your wife to say like hey this is actually what i'm feeling right now um that she can probably relate to you know i i think it might be worth saying this there are different ways to do the to use the emotions chart in a group but gabe one thing you did with us that I found really helpful because similar to Iran, it was very new to me using these words, but more than using them to like actually noticing mm -hmm. <laughs> the emotions, um, was you gave us very specific instructions. And I know for my own work, it's helpful when you're new to something, like get really, really specific. And you said, actually bring three words each time. Mm -hmm. And so I would kind of block off a few minutes before our group and I'd pull out the, for me, it was a emotions wheel <laughs> chart. And I would look and I would identify the core, you know, the most basic emotion uh, category. And then I go out and out to the furthest and try to pick three words of what I was feeling that day. And then in the group, we would kind of each take turns just sharing the three words and why we were feeling those and then doing the listening and stuff that we talked about earlier. I found that so helpful because it was so, so simple, like so specific and simple. So elementary, it was like, all right, I'm just like focusing on my form, doing a few reps until I like feel good. Mm -hmm. And what I also noticed is um, how often I had opposing emotions at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we would often all comment on that. I think for those listening, like you'll probably experience the same thing where you realize like, oh, I have a happy emotion and a sad one at yeah, the same time. That's right. Which again, helpful to be human and notice that because Again, I think in our cult, it's like, which are you mm -hmm. happy or sad? <laughs> like both mm -hmm. I'm experiencing a bunch of things right now. And that's, that was, um, almost like a surprise to me, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, it goes back to that concept that people are mysteries, mm -hmm. you know? So how is it that I can be angry and optimistic and curious all at the same time? It's like, I don't, I don't know. I can't like rationally explain that to you, but I just can tell you that it's, it's for me, that's real. Yeah. You know, um, what about the guy? I mean, I'm, I'm listening, I'm thinking maybe someone's listening to this and they are pretty, um, th this isn't as new and fresh to mm -hmm. them. Like how, how could they show up in the group with the emo sharing the emotions? Well, I think it's just modeling, right? Like we, we, we model the way for, for others. That's the first thing is that no matter how, you know, how familiar you are with this this kind of work. Maybe you've done story work for years and years and years, but you still have to show up every day that you show up to a group. You have to choose to be vulnerable, choose to be real, choose to be authentic. Like I'm going to actually share because we all know like there's levels of honesty, yeah. right? Like, am I, am I going to, am I going to choose to share how I'm really doing yeah. or am I going to share like some, some smaller version of it? Yeah. And, and we rightly choose that based on, you know, the safety that's afforded us in different contexts. But our hope is that these kind of groups are like the ultimate safe place where everything's co confidential or whatever. So I think if you're really experienced in these things, then just show up, like the, go first yeah. and show up real. And remember that all of us are a work in progress. Like mm, yeah. you never like graduate from this work. It's always hard. Yeah. We're always going to be, you know, drawn back into hiding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would you say to the person? 
and I'm giving like a spectrum here because I think there's you can be anywhere along this, but there's people who are are a lot their default is to be more reserved and to share less and to and then there's actually people i'm one of them who's like default is to share too much Mm -hmm. to open up too quickly so like for anyone and what would you say to those people in this space because yeah the ideal is it's like a perfectly safe space but Mm -hmm. it might not be too like how do you what would you say to those extremes well i think we're we grow right in these spaces we grow as individuals but we grow as a group as well so the safety isn't there 100 percent just because we form a group like this and like this is safe everybody <laughs> no like it's trust and trust is earned and it, it's earned over time with consistent behavior and so i think like as we consistently show up in a way that says uh, this is a place that you can be heard. This is a, pl- a place where what you share is confidential. This is a space where people will re- re- listen and respond appropriately. Then you'll build trust every single time. Mm-hmm. I think it's for all of us, no matter how much we, you know, our default is to overshare, undershare, whatever. I think we need to all grow in our capacity to see each other in the groups and pay attention. And so it's not just incumbent upon the leader to pay attention to the group. It's, it's, you know, every member paying attention to, to one another. And so if you're a person that's like, it's really easy to share, I like to talk a lot, then maybe for you, you know, you, you want to pay attention to make sure you're not over, over talking and, and, and stealing space from somebody else that, doesn't share as much. If you're a person who it's tougher for you to share, maybe you want to challenge yourself to share a little more than, than you're comfortable with. And, you know, I know we're talking to leaders on, on this uh, mm-hmm. series, you know, this is a big leader task and mm-hmm. Ron, you probably have some things to say on this because you have so much experience just leading groups in general, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Like how, how would you, mm-hmm. like what advice would you give to leaders on modulating people talking too much and not talking enough. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, you hit it on, on it earlier where you talked about emotional intelligence and encouraging people to know themselves and their own tendencies. Like you named yours, you know, I have mm-hmm. a tendency to share more and mine is probably to share less. And so just knowing that, but knowing mm-hmm. that the group is only as good as the sum of its parts and yeah. that, you know, you're not there just for you. You're there for the other guys in the group as well. So good. for those who show up and, and maybe share too much, the encouragement to, hey, take less time and let other guys, you know, who who wouldn't share. And for those who wouldn't say enough, um, just the encouragement of we need you. We need to hear from you. We need to hear from all the voices here in this group um, to make it as good as it can be. And you may be going through something that this guy over here is also going through, but he, he doesn't want to share it until you share it first, you know, and model the way. And that vulnerability is contagious. And I think that's so key, you know, in groups like this with men, especially that the leader goes first and models it. And the other guys are always, you know, aware of their own tendencies and showing up in a way that this group's not about me. It's not affirming my identity as a, you know, a great group participant or whatever. Um, but it's about the other guys here. So good. 